Rise and shine, fragile Americans. There's a victimhood to be claimed and microscopic germs to fear. The Kate Daly Show starts now. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Welcome. Welcome to the Friday show, Christmas show. We're on the heels of Christmas right now. and. Uh, excited to be here and also I'm going to share with you uh, one of my favorite stories because this is the only segment of the show I can play this in uh, otherwise I'd save it to the last but uh, my favorite the John Henry Falk uh, story I have I must I have to I have to play this for you and um, I love this I love the story so let me get on with it this is John Henry Falk telling this story 1974 so enjoy and then I have a bit of good news about the SEC land grab thing all right, enjoy. The day after Christmas a number of years ago, I was driving down a country road in Texas and it's a bitter cold, cold morning. And walking ahead of me on the gravel road was a little barefooted boy with nondescript ragged overalls and a makeshift sleeve of a sweater tied around his little ears. I stopped and picked him up Looked like he was about 12 years old and his little feet were blue with the cold. He's carrying an orange. And he got in and had the brightest blue eyes one ever saw and he turned a bright smile on my face and says, I'm going down the road about two miles from my cousin's. I want to show him my orange old Sandy Claus brought me. Well, I wasn't going to mention Christmas to him because I figured he came from a family that kind of don't have Christmas. But he brought it up himself. He said, did old Sandy Claus come to see you, mister? And I said, yes, we had a real nice Christmas at our house, and I hope you had the same. He paused for a moment, looked at me, and then with all the sincerity in the world said, mister, we had the wonderfulest Christmas in the new nine states down to our place. Lordy, it was the first one we ever had had there. See, we never do have them out there much. Don't notice when Christmas time comes. We'd heard about it, but never did have one because, uh, well, you know, it just, Papa says that old Sandy Claus, Papa Hoorahs a lot, said old Sandy Claus was scared to bring his reindeer down into our section of the county because folks down there are so hard up it. They liable to catch one of his reindeer and butcher him for meat. But just just several days before Christmas, a lady come out from town and she told all the families through there, our family too, that there was old Sandy Claus was coming town to leave some things for us. 
and if Papa would go in town, he could get some Christmas time for all of us. And Papa hooked up the mule and wagon. He went in town, but he told us children, said, now don't y'all get all worked up and excited because there might not be nothing to this yarn that lady told. And, but Chuck, she hadn't got out of sight up the lane there. We was done watching for him to come back. We couldn't get our minds on nothing else, you know. And Mama, she'd come door once in a while and say, Now, y'all quit that looking up the lane because Papa told you there might not be nothing. And, but long about the middle of the afternoon, well, we heard the team of jangling the harness are coming, and we ran out in the front yard, and Ernie, my little brother, called out and said, Yonder come Papa. Here come them mules just in a big trot, you know, and Papa standing up right in the bed of that wagon holding two big old chickens, all feathers picked off. And he was just yelling, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And the team stopped right in front of the gate, and all us children just went swarming out there like a, like a flock of chee-chees, you know, and just crawling over that wagon and looking in. And, mister, I wish you could have seen what was in that wagon. It's bags of stripy de candy and apples and oranges and sacks of flour and some real coffee, you know, and... Just, just all tensely and pretty, and we couldn't say nothing. Just kind of held our breath and looked at it, you know. And Papa standing there, just waving them two chickens and yelling, "Merry Christmas to you, Merry Christmas to you," and a laugh and that big old grin on his face. And Mama, she come a hurrying out with the baby in her arms, you know. And when she looked in that wagon, she just stopped and Papa he dropped them two chickens and wrenched and caught the baby out of her arms, you know, and held him up and said, "Merry Christmas to you, Sandy Claus," and and, and baby little old Alvy Lee, he just he just laughed like he knowed it was Christmas too, you know. And Mama she started telling us the name all that. Them nuts, it wasn't just peanuts. It was, she had names for all of them. She, Mama knows a heap of things like that. She'd seen that stuff before, you know. And we was all of us just a chattering and a going on at the same time us young'uns are looking in there. And all of a sudden we heard Papa call out, Merry Christmas to you, Sam Jackson. And we stopped and looked, and here comes Sam Jackson leading that old cripple-legged mule of his up the lane. And... Papa said, Sam Jackson, did you get in town and get some Christmas this year? Sam Jackson, you know, he share crops over there across the creek from our place. And he shook his head and said, well, no, sir, Mr. Will, I didn't go in town. I heard about that, but I didn't know it was for colored folks, too. I thought it was just for you white families. All of a sudden, none of us children were saying nothing. Papa, he, he looked down at Mama, and Mama looked up at him, and they didn't say nothing like they don't a heap of times, but they know what the others are thinking. They're like that, you know. And all of a sudden, Papa, he broke out in a big grin again. He said, Dad, blame it, Sam Jackson. It's sure a good thing you come by here. Lord have mercy. I like to forgot. Old Sandy Claus would have me in court if he'd heard about this. The last thing he asked me if I lived out here near you. Said he hadn't seen you around and said he wanted me to bring part of this out here to you and your family. Your woman and your children. Well, sir, Sam Jackson, he broke out in a big grin. And Papa said, I'll tell you what to do. You get your wife and children and you come down here tomorrow morning. It's going to be Christmas time all day long. Come early and stay late. And Sam Jackson said, you reckon? 
and Mama called out to him and said, yes, and you tell your wife to be sure and bring some pots and pans because we're going to have a heap of cooking to do, and I ain't sure I've got enough to take care of all of it. Well, sir, old Sam Jackson, he started off uh, leading that mule up lane in a full trot, you know, and he was heading home to get the word to his folks and his children, you know. And next morning, it just, you remember how it was yesterday morning? Just rosy red and looked like Christmas time. It's cold, but you didn't notice the cold, you know, and the sun just come up, just all rosy red. And us young'uns were all out of bed before daylight, seemed like, just running in the kitchen and smelling and looking. And it was all there, sure enough. And here comes Sam Jackson and his his team and his wife and his five young'uns in there. And it's all looking over the edge, and we run out and yell, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And Papa said, Christmas gift to you, Sam Jackson. Y'all come on in. And they come in, and Mama and Sister Jackson, they got in the kitchen, and they started uh, cooking things up. And us youngins started playing Christmas time. And it's a lot of fun, you know. We just play Christmas gift with one another and run around and around the house and just roll in the dirt, you know. And then we started playing, go up to the kitchen door and smell. And we'd run up and smell inside that kitchen door where Mom and Sister Jackson was cooking at. And then we'd just die laughing and roll in the dirt, you know, and, and go chasing around and playing Christmas gift. And we played Christmas time till we just wore ourselves out. And Papa and Sam Jackson, they put a table up and put some sheets over it, some boards up over some sawhorses. And everybody had a place, even the baby. And Mom and Sister Jackson said, well, now it's ready to come on in. We're going to have Christmas dinner. And I sit right next to Willie Jackson, you know, and he'd just roll his eyes at me, and I'd roll mine. We'd just die laughing, you know, and there was an apple and an orange and some stripy candy at everybody's place. And that was just dessert, see. That wasn't a real Christmas dinner. Mom and them had done cooked that up, and they just had it spread up and down the table. And so Papa and Sam Jackson, they'd been sitting on the front porch, and they come in. Papa, he sit at one end of the table, and Sam Jackson sit at the other, and it was just a beautiful table like you never had seen. And I didn't know nothing could ever look like that and smell that good, you know. And Sam Jackson, you know, he's real black, and he had on that white clean shirt of his and then them overhauls. Everything had been washed and was real clean. Papa, he said, Brother Jackson, I believe you're a deacon in the church. I ain't much of a church man myself, but I believe you're a deacon. Maybe you you'd be willing to give grace. Well, Sam Jackson, he stood up there, and his hands was real big, and he kind of held on to the side of the table, you know. But he didn't bow his head like a heap of folks do when they're saying blessing. He just looked up and smiled, and he said, Lord, I hope you having as nice a Christmas up there with your angels as we have it down here, because <laughs> it's sure is Christmas time down here. And I just wanted to say, Merry Christmas to you, Lord. Like I say, mister, I believe that was the wonderfulest Christmas in the United States of America. Wow. I love that story for a multitude of reasons that you could probably imagine, but the story wasn't really about race. It was about celebrating Christmas, and it was about giving to your neighbor, and it was about just loving your neighbor. And I know that that's the America we have right now. I know that. What we're told in the press, don't buy it. This story was done so long ago by the great uh, John Henry Falk and a uh, great storyteller. 
And I really, I cherish it. It gives me a lump in my throat at the end, every single time. doesn't matter how many times I listen to it. But the thing that's special about that is it's just about humanity loving and serving each other. And isn't it interesting when you look at all the stories, the stories that I treasure the most are the ones where we lose the pride, we become a little vulnerable, and we're usually really kind to each other. But it's, it's that losing of the pride. It's about just embracing, right? Like in this, in this case, that moment of celebrating Christmas together. And those are the stories that I could probably listen to every single, every single year around this time. Those are the, that's what makes them special to me anyway. Maybe you too, I don't know. But to me, they do. It's the losing of the pride, maybe being a little vulnerable. Being kind, be nice, of course, loving. Be right back. Kate Daly Show. This is the Kate Daly Show. Christmas, Christmas, blessed day. I don't hear that one very much, do you? Uh, welcome back. And of course, sharing some of my favorites on Christmas, uh, for Christmas, for you. And uh, of course, our Friday show. So this story is by, this one will give you kind of a laugh because it's a little more modern day. And uh, this one is Peaches, the dog. Um, and of course, Mary Stressful. This is by Ke- the great Kevin Kling. Here we go. The best holiday stories are like a good wine and that they grow out of stress and like a fine wine, they get better with age. In my family, a single phrase opens a story like a door to a cross between an advent calendar and a haunted house, each portal harboring a ghost of Christmas past. There was the year of the salad dressing when my sister's new husband, eager to make a good impression on our family, leapt up at the Christmas dinner table to dress the salad. Unfortunately, he hadn't checked to see if the cap was on the bottle, so as he smiled and shook the bottle. The family looked on with horror as Italian salad dressing flew over his shoulder and all over the new curtains. The year of the peaches happened decades before my birth. During Prohibition, my grandfather had made some of his famous homebrew and left it to ferment in the cellar. During Christmas dinner, while the preacher sat at the table, some of the bottles began to explode. Everybody knew the sound and what it was, but my grandfather, without batting an eye, looked at my grandmother and said, there go your peaches, honey. A catchphrase in our family ever since. My first memory is the year of the TV dinner. As kids, when we went to the grocery store, my brother and I usually sat in the car while my mom shopped. She'd crack a window and we were fine. Actually, I enjoyed hours of enforced boredom, sitting in the car, staring out the window, looking at the car next to us with a kid looking at me. But this year was a huge shop and it was 10 degrees out, so we got to go in, pleading the whole time to go down the cereal aisle for Lucky Charms. As mom loaded up the shopping cart, we hung off the opposite side, stretching out our arms and singing the Hawaii 5 theme song. Suddenly, I got a terrific 
terrific idea for a science project. If I jumped off, would my brother's weight be sufficient to topple the cart? Well, the answer was yes, quite sufficient. He lay in the aisle under a metal cart and all the fixings, screaming in pain. My mom said, no, Stephen, no, no, look, look, you're fine, and your turkey is fine, see? My turkey? Yes, yes, your turkey, see here? He carried the frozen turkey the rest of the way to the checkout counter, hiccup crying, my turkey. Two weeks later, when the time came to thaw the turkey, it was nowhere to be found. Who would have taken the turkey? Turns out my brother had. He'd figured if somebody broke in the house for his turkey, the freezer was the first place they'd look. So he'd kept it under his bed. Now all of a sudden, that smell made sense. Also, the fact that every night for the past two weeks, I noticed he slept with a loaded bow and arrow in his bed. I kept thinking any of those nights, my dad could have popped in to check on us, only to be plugged by my brother. So that was the year we ate TV dinners. Finally, last year was the year of the dog. Now, we have this dachshund named Fafner, and dachshunds were bred to hunt badgers, which are known to be fierce. At first, I felt sorry for the little dachshunds until I owned one. Now I pity the badger. Last Christmas, I brought Fafner to our family gathering, and there was food on the dining room table, so I warned everyone to watch out. At home, we call him a counter-terrorist. Suddenly, Fafner made his move. Quick as a flash, he was on the table, right to the bowl of my sister-in-law's famous oatmeal cookies. Fafner quickly deduced if he started eating cookies, he may get one or two down before I collared him. So with his face, he smashed all the cookies to tiny bits, then inhaled the entire supply. It took only seconds, but was so violent and swift, nobody had moved. Nobody spoke of the incident the rest of the day, and I was ashamed. Fafner seemed pleased. I mean, it couldn't have gone better. The next day, as more family arrived, my brother turned to a cousin, pointed at Fafner, and said, you see that dog? You couldn't believe what that dog can do. Then he recounted this story with a pride reserved for an honor student. The rest of my family joined in, adding color and details. They patted him like, see, and I can touch him. Overnight, Fafner had achieved legendary status in a story that would be recounted time and again. And I was reminded how love thrives in audacity. It's why so many girls in high school fell for the wrong guy. It's also why a good holiday needs a bit of tragedy. This week, I'm visiting my family, and I know something will happen. Oh, yes, it will happen. But until then, I'd like to wish everyone a Merry Stressmas and a very Merry happy Stressmas. holiday. <laughs> holiday, I love it. Uh, that was from Kevin uh, Kevin Kling, and I love that story. I th- you know what? Because so many of us, right? Right now, you're sitting there, and you can think back through all your Christmases. Probably all of us should be writing a book right now. I am, but you guys should be too (laughs) for all the experiences you've had, because I'll bet you they'll fill a book. And if you're feeling lonely for Christmas, join in with somebody. Join in with somebody. Share Christmas with them. Don't be lonely. It's the best way out of that feeling, okay? And uh, when I come back, I want to share two stories with you. Uh, One I'll read and and one I want to share with you uh, that uh, I love listening to every year. It's so sweet. I just love the sweet stories. The sweet stories where people just love each other. I love that. I think it's I think it's great. Be right back. Kate Daly Show. KateDalyRadio.com for all the SoundCloud podcasts as well. Be right back. This is the Kate Daly Show. Christmas Carol, Silent Night by the Edison Quartet. Yes, 1910 from the Library of Congress, uh, this recording. Um, 
All right. In fact, we should do a whole show about recordings because um, there were people that have invented that long before uh, we were told with uh, Edison, too. So I'll have to do a show on that. <laughs> we'll do a show on that when I get back. Um, and uh, I'll be out next week, but I'll be gone. I'll be back the following. And I just wanted to say, please visit my sponsors, balanceofnature.com, my pillow. I love all of these products. I take them, use them myself. And uh, also uh, text Birch 989898. And of course, text my name and get that information. And maybe you can help a loved one, help yourself, get things solidified. I would do that. I think uh, we should take some steps. Um, I also wanted to... Uh, I told you I would tell you the up the update on the SEC. I interviewed our state treasurer. There's three state treasurers that are talking about the SEC a land grab. And I just wanted to mention this real quick, that they actually del are delaying their decision on the natural asset company proposal. And they're going to reopen comments because of so much backlash and because 22 states are taking taking this to task a little bit. So... That's good news. It's not fantastic news. It's not over by a landslide, but um, hate to use the word, I hate to use the pun with land, but anyway, listen, we are, it's the biggest land grab in America's history. That's how big this is. It's a huge story at Christmas time when everyone wants to focus on Christmas and I get it, but this is a one little piece of, of news. Uh, the treasurer uh, messaged me this morning, told me that they had delayed it a little bit, asked for more public comment, but I sure hope that we work hard and start, start calling and emailing and messaging and making sure people are aware of it. And then also your, um, uh, whoever your congressman is and Senator, and just let them know that, you know, that this is going on and that they're not warning you about it. So it's the NACs, the natural asset companies selling off our public and private lands to the, to the biggest bidder, biggest country that wants them sickening, sickening, evil. It's just evil. And, um, we got to stop it, but that's a piece of li a little piece of good news for you. Um, all right, here is the 1949 um, NPR story from, uh, Paul Osler. I love this one. 1949. Here we go. A light drizzle was falling as my sister Jill and I ran out of the Methodist church, eager to get home and play with the presents that Santa had left for us and our baby sister, Sharon. Across the street from the church was a Pan-American gas station where the Greyhound bus stopped. It was closed for Christmas, but I noticed a family standing outside the locked door, huddled under the narrow overhang in an attempt to keep dry. I wondered briefly why they were there, but then forgot about them as I raced to keep up with Jill. Once we got home, there was barely time to enjoy our presents. We had to go off to our grandparents' house for our annual Christmas dinner. As we drove down the highway through town, I noticed that the family was still there, standing outside the closed gas station. My father was driving very slowly down the highway. The closer we got to the turnoff from my grandparents' house, the slower the car went. Suddenly, my father U-turned in the middle of the road and said, I can't stand it. What? asked my mother. It's those people back there at the Pan Am standing in the rain. They've got children. It's Christmas. I can't stand it. When my father pulled into the service station, I saw that there were five of them, the parents and three children, two girls and a small boy. My father rolled down his window. Merry Christmas, he said. Howdy, the man replied. He was very tall and had to stoop slightly to peer into the car. Jill, Sharon, and I stared at the children, and they stared back at us. You waiting on the bus, my father asked. The man said that they were. They were going to Birmingham, where he had a brother and prospects of a job. Well, 
That buzz isn't going to come along for several hours, and you're getting wet standing there. Windborne's just a couple of miles up the road. They've got a shed with a cover there and some benches, my father said. Why don't you all get in the car, and I'll run you up there. The man thought for a moment, and then he beckoned to his family. They climbed into the car. They had no luggage, only the clothes they were wearing. Once they were settled in, my father looked back over his shoulder and asked the children if Santa had found them yet. Three glum faces mutely gave him the answer. Well, I didn't think so, my father said, winking at my mother, because when I saw Santa this morning, he told me he was having trouble finding y'all, and he asked me if he could leave your toys at my house. We'll just go get them before I take you to the bus stop. All at once, the three children's faces lit up, and they began to bounce around in the back seat, laughing and chattering. When we got out of the car at our house, the three children ran through the front door and straight to the toys that were spread out under our Christmas tree. One of the girls spied Jill's doll and immediately hugged it to her breast. I remember that the little boy grabbed Sharon's ball, and the other girl picked up something of mine. All this happened a long time ago, but the memory of it remains clear. This was the Christmas when my sisters and I learned the joy of making others happy. My mother noticed that the middle child was wearing a short-sleeved dress, so she gave the girl Jill's only sweater to wear. My father invited them to join us at our grandparents for Christmas dinner, but the parents refused. Even when we all tried to talk them into coming, they were firm in their decision. Back in the car on the way to Winborn, my father asked the man if he had money for bus fare. His brother had sent tickets, the man said. My father reached into his pocket and pulled out two dollars, which was all he had left until his next payday. He pressed the money into the man's hand. The man tried to give it back, but my father insisted. It'll be late when you get to Birmingham, and these children will be hungry before then. Take it. I've been broke before, and I know what it's like when you can't feed your family. We left him there at the bus stop in Winborn. As we drove away, I watched out the window as long as I could, looking back at the little girl hugging her new doll. Paul Osler, great story. I love that. It's just kindness. I mean, we all have different uh, political ideologies, right? We've all formed different ideas. We all have different religions, and um, I love mine, you love yours. <laughs> um, we all have all those differences, but in that moment, none of the differences were part of the equation. It was just the fact that humans coming together, you know, and um, and and celebrating and learning how to give and learning how to just be with each other without all the other stuff, which I actually love. I love that. We should be that way, shouldn't we? I love it. Um, I also wanted to mention this too. I don't know if you guys remember this story, but General Washington um, grasped the words and energized the troops when Christmas Day, when he crossed the Delaware in a surprise attack and took New Jersey. It was on that day, on, on Christmas Day, Ironically, very, very, very important day because it had not been for that moment, America would have succumbed. We wouldn't have America. There were only a couple of key battles and that was definitely the key battle right there. And also the troops under the direction of General Howe knew the enlistments of the Americans were set to expire December 31st. Many would leave their posts to save themselves from starvation and freezing temperatures. And instead... They were uh, going to wait it out a week, anticipating Washington's defeat. 
as his own his own army had finally had enough. But in Thomas uh, Paine's words, his divine intervention of words that inspired a general and his army to give it their everything saved this country. And it was key to giving us the fight to, to the strength to, to, to fight on. And I love that because even in our lowest points of history, even at your lowest point in your life, there's always probably been something that's made you kind of fight for something and move forward. And, and, uh, and I, and in that moment, it was, it was really divine intervention of words that really helped. And I love that. Don't you? I just love that story because, um, it was, it was Christmas. It was Christmas day when that happened. You know, I, I firmly believe that God loves and wants us to have liberty and loves us no matter who you are and what you've done or, or what your situation is. That's really the message of, of Christmas. So I love that. And when I come back, I want to give you a, a story about Christmas um, that I want to share with you about a family that celebrated Christmas after a loved one uh, passed away as well. But uh, it's special. I'll be right back. Kate Daly Show, katedalyradio.com. This is the Kate Daly Show. Joy to the world, played by the Edison Concert Band. This is the um, first recording of a Christmas song that we've got. And uh, it's scratchy, but it's good, isn't it? Joy to the world. And uh, the Edison Band. (laughs) Did you guys catch that? Anyway, uh, welcome back. And of course, every year I try to throw in something new um, because there are some beloved Christmas stories and everybody always asks for them every year. It's fine. And I love them too. And I love to re-listen to them. And this one is called uh, The Little White Envelope. And this came from 2015, actually, way more recent. But uh, Nancy is her name that wrote this, Nancy Gavin. And she wrote, uh, it's a small white envelope stuck among the branches of our Christmas tree. No name, no identification, no inscription. Just peek through the branches of our tree for the past 10 years. It all began because my husband, Mike, hated Christmas. No, not the true meaning of Christmas, but the commercial aspect of it. Overspending, frantic running around, last minute to get a tie for Uncle Harry and the dusting powder for Grandma, and the gifts given in desperation because you couldn't think of anything else. Knowing he felt this way, I decided one year to bypass the usual shirts, sweaters, ties, and so forth, and I reached for something special just for Mike. The inspiration came in an unusual way. Our son, Kevin, who was 12 this year, was on the wrestling team at school, school he attended. And shortly before Christmas, there was a non-league match against a team sponsored by Inner City Church. These youngsters dressed in sneakers so ragged, the shoestrings seemed to be the only thing holding them together, presented a sharp contrast to the boys and our boys in their spiffy blue and gold uniforms and sparkling new wrestling shoes. 
And as the match began, I was alarmed to see that the other team was wrestling without headgear, a kind of light helmet designed to protect a wrestler's ears. It was the luxury a ragtag team obviously could not afford. So, well, we ended up walloping them. We took uh, every weight class and Mike seated beside me, shook his head sadly and said, I wish just one of them could have won. He said, they have a lot of potential, but losing like this could take the heart right out of them. Mike loved kids, all kids. And he so enjoyed coaching little league football and basketball and baseball and lacrosse that when the idea when the idea for his present came. That afternoon, I went to a local sporting goods store and bought an assortment of wrestling headgear and shoes and sent them anonymously to the inner city church. And on Christmas Eve, I placed a small white envelope on the tree. The note inside telling Mike what I had done and that this was his gift from me. Mike's smile was the brightest thing about Christmas that year. And at that same bright smile lit up six in succeeding years as well for each Christmas, I followed the tradition one year sending a group of mentally handicapped youngsters to a hockey game. Another year, a check to a pair of elderly brothers whose home had burnt to the ground the week before Christmas and so on. The white envelope became the highlight of our Christmas. It was always the last thing opened on Christmas morning and our children ignoring their new toys would stand wide-eyed with anticipation as their dad lifted the envelope out of the tree to reveal its contents. As the children grew, the toys gave way to a more practical presence, but the small white envelope never lost its allure. The story doesn't end there. You see, we lost Mike last year due to dreaded cancer. And when Christmas rolled around, I was still so wrapped in grief that I barely got the tree up. But Christmas Eve found me placing an envelope on the tree. And the next morning, I found it was magically joined by three more. Unbeknownst to the others, three of our, each of our three children had for the first time placed a white envelope on the tree for their dad. The tradition has grown and someday we'll expand even further with our grandchildren standing down to standing in to take that down that special envelope. Mike's spirit, like the Christmas spirit, will always be with us. And she wrote for the man who hated Christmas. Oh, sorry. Anyway, it was a it was a great story. Really got me, as you can tell. <laughs> um, I rarely do that on screen, but listen. Um, that is truly what it's about. You know, I look back on all the Christmases we've had. You know, I was listening to the Peaches story and you think about all these different Christmases and there was the Christmas that we delivered gifts to a family less fortunate and, and I fell trying to run away from the house and the dogs started barking and the lights came on and I w couldn't get up and my kids were running and, and we were laughing so hard and trying to get up off the ground and... And there were a lot of stories in our, in our family history like that. And every, each year we, we try to help some families. And there's always stories with that, stories that we treasure now in the telling of them. And I hope that my kids carry on those traditions with their kids because honestly, can't remember any of the gifts. 
but I do remember those moments. I always remember the moments where we we were with single parents or we were we were helping just in just about every kind of fashion you can imagine. But each year, just those are the only stories that my that my kids seem to remember. You, if I said, what did you get in 2000, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and, and 20, they would not remember. They would not remember. But they do remember those moments. So, and why is that? Why is that? Those are the ones that stick. It's all the stories where you lose your pride, you're vulnerable, you find out what matters, you're doing something that you know you know, emulates Christ or the times when people had it really rough and did everything they could to, to get the, to get the gift that they know somebody wanted. When somebody goes through that kind of sacrifice, that's what makes it special. Not the thing, not the thing, the thing gets wrapped. The thing gets open. The thing gets forgotten. It's what you went through to get it. That's what matters. I hope you all have a Merry Christmas. I hope you share this show uh, through the holiday season uh, so people you know can listen to this. You can go to katedallyradio.com and you can scroll down on the homepage, katedallyradio.com, and you can find the SoundClouds and you can share those. And I so appreciate you. I see you, all you freedom fighters, all you people that have stood up and taken the hits, all you people that get on social media. You try, you try with all your heart to educate. I love you for it. I see you. I see you. I recognize what you're doing. You love your country. I do too. You love God. I do too. You love your family. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you all. And I'll see you back after next week. Be faithful. Be fearless. Always. Here's what's trending today on stgeorgenews.com. The fate of a hurricane man accused of failing to register as a sex offender and assault was decided in large part by an extensive criminal history with dozens was decided in large part.